Carolina podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in, downloading the podcast, subscribing, however it is you're getting this. We're happy that you're here. Good to be with you. Uh, my name is Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Mornings on Sports Radio 610. Joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, the great John McClain joining me as always. John, uh, we record this on a Wednesday as we lead into a weekend of Texans football on Sunday. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great. I don't know why the media keeps asking D'Amico Ryans about who the starting quarterback is. It is C.J. Stroud. It has been C.J. Stroud, and it will be C.J. Stroud. He's just not going to announce it. Nick Casario told you in South Payne that three weeks ago that they may never announce it. And I don't know why anybody's acting like there's a question that he might not be the starting quarterback. But, yes, he will be. We've been yeah. saying that on this podcast since since the draft. Well, Anybody thinks differently is not so. Yeah, well, I I think I'm I like that they keep asking John because I think it's now at this point it's a it is a big picture conspiracy to drive Ron the Show Hughley into insanity because he's the one person that is really worked up about this. Our one half of our afternoon show at Sports Radio six ten. I just love watching show get all bent out of shape that D'Amico hasn't named. CJ Stroud officially, officially the starter yet. It just makes me, it makes me laugh. And show knows this. I'm not talking out of turn. I saw him yesterday up at the studio and I told him, I am enjoying watching you slowly devolve into a, an insane person standing out on the median, uh, you know, just yelling at the yelling at clouds. There's too many things in this life, especially in sports, to worry about besides if CJ Stroud is going to be a starter because you know. C.J. Stroud is going to be the starter. John, earlier today, the Texans tweeted out a silhouette of what was clearly Cal McNair. Um, it led to all sorts of speculation on social media as to what it could mean. Some humorous speculation, some fairly uh, substantial speculation. I was listening to Sports Radio 610 when it dropped. Uh, John Lopez was on with Wade Smith. Wade's in for Landry. And, uh, and John's speculating that, oh, it's it's a silhouette of Cal. Maybe Janice is officially transferring ownership over to Cal, you know, like like she, like you like you transfer two hundred dollars to somebody on PayPal or something <laughs> like that. Um, but it, and when I let when I was texting with some folks over there, I said, man, I don't know what this is that you guys tweeted out about, but just know this is what's being speculated on the air. So if it's not anything close to this in significance, you you may want to do the great reveal a little early on this thing, so there's not a huge letdown. Cal McNair is going to be doing another Reddit Ask Me Anything. Which oh my god! Well, oh uh, my god! And obviously, yeah, obviously, this is not anything that changes the race in the AFC South or anything like that. I do. I will say this, John, um, that this is something he did it last year at this almost this exact same time. I went back and looked at the summary of last year's AMA. And it was September the 7th. So it was right before the season was starting. He did one of these, answered about 15 or 16 questions, including some about Jack Easterby. And he, you know, he did tackle some topics that I think some people thought would, wouldn't make it through the filter of AMA. Um, th this is one of just a handful of things. I think if you had told people, say, three, four years ago, that Cal McNair would be doing these types of things, they would have said you were crazy. Cal was not a real front facing public figure like he's become in the last year or so. So I, I give him, I don't know what he's going to say on this AMA. I mean, last year we got things like 
the the jersey swap for the Deshaun Watson jerseys was was announced. They that was the first inkling we got that there would be new uniforms. I thought he was pretty self-deprecating and funny at times on that AMA last year. Um, I give him credit. These are things, you know, the cookout and you know how public he is out of practice and everything, and how the interactions that he's had. Um, these are things that I think three or four years ago it would have been at the very least things that would have made for for uh, Cal being very uncomfortable doing. He seems to be more comfortable in his own skin. I've known Cal since 1999. Talk talked to him a lot, and he's always been a behind the scenes guy and admitted it. Back when we could watch all the practice, Bob McNair and Cal would be on a golf cart, and after practice, they would go out to the middle of the field and talk to Rick Smith and Gary Kubiak about practice, and then Bob and Cal would drive over and talk to the media, and Bob would hold court off the record. Somebody wanted to ask him something on the record, they would. And I would lean in and tell Cal, I hope you're watching because your dad is great at this. And he said, Dad likes to be out front. I like to be behind the scenes. And I think one of the reasons that he's kind of come out of his shell, number one, Bill O'Brien's gone. And uh, I think that his wife, Hannah, who is who's out there much more now that all their kids are in school, and uh, she has a much bigger role. They're both together everywhere. The Miami media was amazed that the Texans owners were at practice. You know, they never see their owner who stays in New York and Stephen Ross, and so they liked it. They said, y'all can actually talk to the media? Yeah, they come over and talk to us all the time. And, you know, Cal last year, he was cutting hair on the concourse uh, before he had his cows cooked out. You were part of it. He had his cows cooked out this year. There's a lot of things they're doing because they're more relaxed. I think it's a plan. It's not a rebranding. I don't think he was ever branded to begin with, but I think that he's more comfortable in the pub, he's more comfortable in the public eye. He's more comfortable out front, but I think he's still more comfortable if Hannah McNair's out front because she it's just natural for her. She's so excellent. To, yeah. So together, uh, they're at a good time. They love having D'Amico. They love having Nick Casario. Remember all those Casario stories nationally? He was leaving after the draft, yeah. which, like so many national stories, have nothing to or nothing to them. And so right now they're in a good place. They got the Watson stuff behind them. They do have the issues with Javier Loya, one of their minor partners, but everybody's fired up about D'Amico, C.J. Stroud, and Will Anderson Jr. Maybe Ron Hughley can go on there and he can ask one of the questions on Reddit. Is C.J. Stroud your starting quarterback? Yeah. The thing that would be great is if Cal announced himself as the starting quarterback. Okay. I will be taking the first. CJ will come in on the second snap. I will take the first snap. Um, I, yeah, I don't think it's been a purposeful rebranding of Cal, John. Like, I don't think they all sat in a boardroom somewhere and said, Cal, here's what your brand is now, and here's what we need it to be. But I do think it, I do think the last year or so has kind of functioned that way. You know, I do think there was a certain impression of Cal McNair maybe a year or two years ago that has that has changed over time. I'm, I'm with you. I think Jack Easterby being out of the building has helped everybody kind of rebrand the whole organization um, big time. D'Amico coming in the building. Um, but, you know, the fact that the fact that his fingerprints and Hannah's fingerprints are on a slew of what people perceive to be good, normal decisions over the last several months, I think is probably been as big a function of the rebrand as anything. People are happy with what they're doing right now. Yeah, and people got to realize they have absolutely nothing to do with personnel. 
Yeah. Uh, that's all Nick Casario. It's in his contract. If they had wanted to Miko Ryans and, and Nick Casario had wanted Sean Payton, they would have Sean Payton here, yep. even though they wanted to Miko because they let the people they hire make those decisions. And Greg Grissom, team president, is a great job. He'll run things by him. He wants to do just like Casario will run things by him to let him know what he's going to do. And they always sign off. You know, they've said that publicly and privately. They think good owners hire people. They pay them a lot of money. If it works, great. If it doesn't, they show, they'll get rid of them. All right. So there will be a Reddit AMA tomorrow with uh, Texans owner Cal McNair. So uh, looking forward to that and seeing what he reveals this year. Um, John, uh, before we get into the mailbag, and by the way, if you want to email us a question, mailbag at gmail.com, uh, the Texans play the Saints on Sunday. No joint practices. Those were canceled. So the Texans are functioning this week as sort of a normal, what a normal work week would look like in the regular season. So they were out on the field today. We're recording this on Wednesday. They were just practicing. They're going to practice again tomorrow. The practice on Friday looks to be short. So I'm guessing that's a walkthrough of some sort that they're going to be doing. And then, um, and then travel Saturday, play on Sunday night in New Orleans. D'Amico met with the media earlier today, and it sounds like the starters are going to play in this game. Um, what are your thoughts on how long you think we should see certain guys, in particular rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud? Well, I think we probably ought to see uh, Davis Mills a lot since he might be the starter. Um, CJ, tongue in cheek, people. Just yeah, so you know, <laughs> tongue in cheek. CJ needs to play. Those those joint practices with the Saints would have helped him. Uh, a young guy like that needs a lot. And I asked Amico, how can you simulate in your practices what he would have learned in the joint practices? But I think he needs to play more. He said one good series in the first two playoff games, not all of his making. And uh, I think you ought to play at least the first half. I'd leave the offensive lineman in there as well. And uh, uh, D'Amico said a couple of series. But that always depends on how it goes. If you go three and out two series in a row, probably going to play another one. If you take him to a touchdown drive, would be the first one that Stroud's had preseason. He's probably coming out. But, you know, if you think about where he is right now, what we've seen, one good series, the fact that in two games they're going to Baltimore – to play a team that's a Super Bowl contender, you know, it's scary to think of if they had to do that right now. I don't think Stroud would be ready. He needs that practice, and he needs that game. John, the, the game on Sunday could be 10 quarters long, and CJ could play the whole thing, and he's still not going to be ready for Baltimore. You know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> Good point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because like, I've heard people since D'Amico say that, saying, well, until I'm going to play two series – he should really play a half, and I and and I know you. I know you said you'd like to see him play a half, so I'm not referring to what you just said. But I've seen and heard people that are kind of fretting over this thing, like, "Oh my God, if he only plays two series, how are you going to be ready for Baltimore?" Okay, so so two more series in the second quarter against the Saints backups. Now all of a sudden he's going to be ready for Baltimore, you know. And I get it; it's a process, and you chip away, and it's a, you know, it's the whole ten thousand hours thing, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell deal, you know. Yeah, they just you know keep. The more you work at something, the better you're going to be at it over time. I just don't – like at this stage, I think Baltimore, that's going to be a tall task on opening day, whether he plays this whole game on Sunday or plays a quarter this Sunday. He needs to play for sure just to have that muscle memory going, you know, and I know they're going to be sitting for two weeks after this. He needs to play, but I do think you need to balance it with being prudent about making sure everybody's healthy for that first game. I'd rather he – I'd rather CJ be one quarter less prepared but fully healthy for Baltimore – 
than risk the possibility, you know, than push the envelope with it. That you get some, it, that you get some third stringer trying to be a hero in a fourth pre, or in a third preseason game coming in trying to take the head of the quarterback off. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of guys out there that are going to be crazed for New Orleans trying to make a football team, and I don't know that I want my quarterback out there without his. If the starting offensive line is out there, then I feel okay about it. But I, you know, I, I don't know if I want these guys out there in the second and third quarter against these, you know, a bunch of dudes trying to make a make a football team. I don't think you can play scared. You know, not many starting quarterbacks go down in the preseason. When you think about how many quarterbacks play, there's no substitute for being on the field, no matter who you're going against, watching them blitz, watching them rush you and everything else. He's got to be smart about getting rid of the ball. And uh, But I, I think that it's going to be even worse. He doesn't get playing time when he gets up there. And I don't think they're going to win the game. Yeah. They're going to get beat. It's just a matter how bad. They're going to get beaten. Is it going to be by 10 points? They're going to be by 20 or 30. They've been beaten by 20 or 30 when they were a playoff team mm-hmm. in Baltimore going oh, against yeah. Mark Jackson, even when they were good. But yep. rookie quarterbacks need to play, and I think that's why Anthony Richardson being kept out, I think, was a big mistake. We'll see. Maybe he's going to be offensive rookie of the year. But I think any quarterback will tell you, you learn from playing, and it doesn't matter who you're playing against. Yep. You can't replace game reps. D'Amico himself said that earlier this week. You can't replace game reps. He said it on Monday. So hopefully, yeah, just from an entertainment standpoint, it'd be fun to see CJ play at least a half of football. I just want to see him score a touchdown, Sean, honestly, of all the things. And I've I've not been hyper-focused on the results of all these drives with CJ. I'm judging CJ more like you judge a prize fight right now. Like, a, you know, I'm literally like just judging – how good the throws look and and is he doing is he checking all these boxes from a skill set standpoint you know that said it would be nice to see a touchdown celebration at some point here with or, an, or another series like he had the other day in which they have to get a field goal because somebody makes a great play or somebody drops a pass you just want to see more of that yeah, yeah. I can even forgive him for the delay call he knows he has to speed it up Demico should have called the timeout there anyway. And I think D'Amico won't make that same mistake. But, uh, yeah, she'd like to see him actually score a touchdown with him on the field. Seth had a theory on that D'Amico timeout, because I don't think D'Amico would say this in the postgame, that he did this. But I could see see a a scenario where D'Amico said, you know what, I'm just going to let this play clock run down and see if CJ himself notices it. You know, see if CJ has the – wherewithal or the awareness to call a timeout with this whole thing. Cause you're not trying to win the football game at that point. You know, it's a preseason game and just see, just test him out and see if CJ knows and has the awareness to call a timeout there. He obviously didn't. I would have waited until there's one second left and it's obvious. <laughs> he didn't it. have the awareness okay. timeout. There you go. All right. Let's do some mailbag questions, John, uh, HOU mailbag at gmail.com. If you want in on our mailbag, we do a mailbag episode every Wednesday. We've been doing it the entire off season. We certainly do it during the regular season. We appreciate everybody who sends in questions, including some of our regulars. Joe Q is one of those regulars. He sent us a couple questions today. Um, John, before I read this question, what's your season prediction right now for the Texans? Because it plays into this question I'm about to read. I'm going to stick with six wins, which I've said since D'Amico was hired, but my official prediction column won't be until right before the season starts. Okay. I'm seven and ten right now for me. I'm so seven and Ooh. ten. Both both are increases Ooh. over both both are increases over what we'll call three and a half wins last year. Yeah, you know what time. happened to you last year when you I do because it was the same same thing that happened to you. Yeah um, we exactly. both said six. We did. We did. 
Um, either way, six and seven are both improvements over what actually happened on the field. Joe's question oh, is goodness, yes. Joe's question is this: um, How much of that increase for each of us is due to the following schedule, coaching, Stroud, or other roster improvements? In other words, John, what's the driving force for you of those things behind why you think the Texans will be better in 2023? First of all, start with the schedule. I think uh, coaching, not just Nico, but Bobby Slowick, I think uh, has got star written all over him. And uh, he's very careful what he's showing in preseason compared to regular season. One thing we know is they're going to use a, a lot of motion. That you know, Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan, they use more motion pre-snap than any, than any team in football last year. I think them and Miami did. And Miami, of course, with the same system under Mike McDaniel. And uh, CJ, you know, they might win a couple more games with Davis Mills because CJ's a rookie quarterback and he's going to be up and down. I think the personnel's better and the schedule is weaker playing the NFC South, not playing the uh, NFC East and AFC West. So it all goes together. But I think the one that would be the least as far as picking them to win six games would be the rookie quarterback. I'm the same. John, you're taking the words right out of my mouth. CJ is at the bottom of the list of reasons why I think they'll be better just because he's a rookie. I, I think he could have a season that probably looks statistically a lot like Davis Mills did last year. You know, uh, Now, I think he, if he's healthy, he unlike Mills, I don't think he's going to get benched. He'll play all 17 games, even if he's having that same type of year. I do think that he's going to be better at protecting the football than Davis. What Davis led the league in interceptions last year. I don't think CJ is going to lead the league in interceptions. I don't know that they'll let him lead the league in interceptions with how much they're going to want to run the football. I am huge on the schedule. I'm a big schedule person, even though I know that strength of schedule is one of those things that by the fourth or fifth week is flipped on its head because certain teams get injured or have are better than you think they are. I'm just not a believer in the NFC South. I'm not a big believer in the AFC South. That's 10 of their games right there. And the other games include Arizona. I'm not a believer in Denver. Um, you know, they, so so they've got a bunch of these. Now, they do cross over with the AFC North, and I think that could be the best division in the AFC. Um, so, I, But I'm a big believer. To me, I would, I would rank it schedule, coaching, roster improvements, and then TJ would be at the bottom of my list. I think if Mills, who played better as a rookie, and when – Pep Hamilton did a good job as a position coach and a horrendous job as a coordinator. And that quarterback coach he brought in, his buddy did a terrible job. I think if Davis Mills were starting now for Bobby Slowick and Gerard Johnson, a quarterback coach, he would be so much better than he was last year. And I think a lot of Mills' mistakes that led to him leading in interceptions was because of the coaching and the system and the personnel. Remember Rex bleeping Burkhead? Yeah. I miss him, John, just because he made you so mad. This is a little like uh, – this is the version of me where I said a few minutes ago I like watching Ron Hughley get mad about D'Amico not naming a, a starting quarterback yet. I enjoyed watching you get agitated about how involved Rex Burkhead was in everything last year. I didn't like it. You know, I didn't like it either, but I was very entertained by how, how much you hated it. Just well, so I'm know. glad to entertain you. I'm glad you were entertained. Remember the first game when Bleeping Burkhead touched the ball more than Damian Pierce? I do. Even though everybody in the world, in the world, knew that Damian Pierce was a better player and was going to be a more productive player 
But yeah. for some reason, they had Rex bleeping Burkhead touch the ball more than him. And we're like, I wanted to pull what little hair I had left out of my head. Yeah, it was crazy. That, that was wild. That game ended in a tie. You imagine if they actually played Pierce a little bit more in that game? Wow, they might have won. Um, Joe Q also, John, real quick. He's, it's funny. He sent another email. He said, yeah, with CJ, there were some excellent throws on the most analyzed 11-play field goal drive in franchise history. Um, but he is very – Joe is very distraught about the delay of game uh, at the one-yard line. He said, I don't think enough's being made about the fact that they got a delay a game at the one-yard line, and in the regular season, that cost – they would have kicked a field goal probably instead of going for it on fourth and goal from the six, I would assume. I would assume in the regular season they would have kicked the field goal there. He makes a good point. He knows that costs you four points right there. You know, a lot of NFL games, that margin is inside of four points. Um, so I, the one thing I would say, John, CJ, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, obviously. CJ seems like a guy who really internalizes his mistakes and then does his best to not make them a second time. Third down, they would have called a timeout and had third and goal. Yeah. And if that didn't work, they hadn't scored a touchdown with Damian Pierce or a fake to Pierce and a bootleg then they would have kicked the field goal. There's yeah. nothing in preseason, a one, one-time one deal like that, that's worth getting distraught over. That's what preseason's about. Yeah. All right. Um, Matthew Kosecki, I like this question, John. He said, um, I want you guys to use your memory of their first training camps. Okay, he's got three names for me here, three quarterbacks. So the first training camps for Matt Schaub, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and this camp with C.J. Stroud, okay? And he wants us to play the game. Mary, I'll say sex. I know I'm allowed to curse on here, but I'm not going to say the F. Mary, sex, or kill. <laughs> have you played that game before, John? No, I have no okay. clue what it was. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's, it's a game where you got to, you know, you choose either to marry somebody, have sex with somebody, or kill them. Um, C.J. Stroud's performance, Matt Schaub's performance, or Ryan Fitzpatrick's training. That's ridiculous. Let me just say, Schaub was a veteran in a system he knew, so he fit in immediately. Fitz, he could fit in any system, although he struggled early with O'Brien. Their first preseason game was the worst performance I've ever seen. Fitz's rating was like seven, and O'Brien stormed off after we asked him three questions, and everybody's, oh, my God, it's going to be terrible, and they were only nine and seven. And that's what happened with those two. Okay, instead, let's call it start, bench, and cut. Okay, instead of instead of the very graphic Matthew Kosecki, start, bench, and cut. In other words, best, second best, third best. Start, bench, and cut based on training camp performance. Who would you start, who would you bench, and who would you cut for those three guys based on their training camps? Shab, you would start. Fitz, you would cut. And, and, and Stroud, you would bench. Stroud's in the middle. Yeah, he'd be the backup. Okay, there you go. Because they traded for Schaub for a reason. Yeah, yeah, he was a veteran guy at the time. And they Fitzy wanted was... him in the system. Bill Musgrave, yeah. who had been with Kubiak in Denver, told him what a great job Schaub did in that system. So he was ticketed to be the starter after they cut David Carter. So if CJ was there right now, number one, they'd be better. But uh, Schaub would have been the starter. Okay. Uh, Chris in the ATL, another frequent emailer to the show. Says he likes business analogies. He said he thinks the 2023 version of the Astros, Astros question for you, John, is like the veteran top performing sales rep who has an established territory. They're not thinking outside the box or being strategic. They're just thriving on past performance and professional skill set. I like this analogy, by the way. Um, he says, my point is, I don't think that approach is going to work for the postseason for the Astros this year. They can't just rest on their laurels. 
They need to think strategically and think outside the box, like maybe making J.P. France their number one or make Maldonado inactive and call up Salazar, something like that. His question is, are you confident with the Astros rolling with their current sales approach, just this current roster and lineup for the playoffs, or should they think outside the box to help them close the deal? What would you do outside the box, John, if you could? Or do you think they need to in order to win the World Series this year? I think uh, Verlander pitched really well in their second consecutive victory over Boston, shutout. Fromber, I don't think thinking out of the box is going to help him. J.P. France has got to be the third starter and put Javier in the bullpen and Hunter Brown in the bullpen in the playoffs, unless you need a fourth starter. And the bullpen, especially uh, Presley and Abreu, neither one's given up a run in August as we record this. And I would never have Chas McCormick, and I would never have Yiner Diaz on the bench. I would make Diaz the catcher and say, Maldi, you can call team meetings and you can lead team meetings when we need you. You know, you can help me over here on the bench. But Diaz, who is a better catcher, he's a better thrower, he's a better hitter, he's faster. When he's not in the lineup, they're not as good. And I would have Chaz playing in center or left field every game. And uh, so I think Dusty's sticking to some of these players. I think that that's going to hurt them unless those players all of a sudden decide to muscle up and play the way they did last season. Yeah, that's what concerns me, John. I think about Brantley coming back. And I know Brantley is, you know, if he can hit, he's a, he's a really good professional hitter. Um, you know, not a lot of punch, but he's he's a guy who's going to make contact and move things along, you know, lengthen the lineup. There, he's not an automatic out like some of these guys feel like. That's my only thing is he's going to take away at-bats. And theoretically, he could take away at-bats from Yiner Diaz. Because Brantley's going to be a DH if he's in the lineup, probably. He's going to either be DH or left field. But that's that's one more body. Getting Yiner in the lineup is going to happen either at catcher, which we know Dusty is not ready to make him the everyday catcher, at first base, which is going to get further cluttered with Jose Abreu coming back. And I know that could mean Singleton's gone, but we know how Dusty feels about Abreu. And then Brantley coming back takes away some of the potential DH at-bats available for Yiner. I'm with you. Yiner is the huge X factor for me because you – I think it goes without saying that they're not going to win a World Series probably unless they get Jose, Altuve being Altuve, Bregman being Bregman. You know, Altuve, Bregman, Tucker, Jordan, guys like that need to be who they are for a whole month in order for them to win by and large. Yiner's an X factor, man. Like Yiner, Yiner to me is an X factor, and you, you bring Brantley back, and all of a sudden you're eating into some of the potential at bats for him. I'd have Brantley as a pinch hitter. Um, they play 127 games. Chaz McCormick's played 84. Yiner's 83. They have 19, 18 home runs. Can you imagine if they played like 115 games? Both of them might have close to 25 home runs. Yeah, that's why I think Dusty's managerial decisions. I don't have a lot of problems with his strategical decisions like I do on his personnel decisions when his loyalty extends to those veterans like Maldi. I think it's way too much. And I don't care if Verlander – Verlander's. I don't care if he wants Mauricio Dubon in center field. Dubon should never be in center field. And I don't care that they want Maldi catcher. Could Fromber be any worse if Diaz was catching him? I don't think so. No, God, no. I mean, Fromber, Javier, uh, Hunter Brown. Uh, no, yeah, I know, and I know Hunter. You know, Diaz catches him more than Maldi does. You know, Maldi catches the other guys, but yeah, like these guys, 
<laughs> their ERAs are seven. And that's John. I said this before on the podcast. I said it on the radio. Martin Maldonado's got the greatest job in the world because when the pitchers are good, everybody gives Maldi all this credit for calling great pitches. And when they suck, people are like, wow, these pitchers really suck. Like they're, they're, it's impossible for Maldi to be bad at that aspect of his job. And that aspect of his job is the only thing that's keeping him employed right now. Like it's, it's, it's the only one that's not measurable, you know, like it's just something, it's anecdotal. It's, it's them going, Oh, the pitchers just really like him. Oh, okay. Like it's great. I like things too at my job, but I don't get everything that I want. You know, I got to adapt. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, J uh, Cortez. All right. Says at the end of the upcoming season, I like this one, John, this is an easier one to decipher than the Mary sex kill one from earlier. I promise. Um, who has more, Will Anderson sacks, Tank Dell receiving touchdowns, Damian Pierce 100-yard games. Who has well, the m- most? Well, first of all, if Will Anderson gets 10 sacks, that's going to be a big deal. Tank's not going to have 10 receiving touchdowns. touchdowns. So I think Damian Pierce, assuming he can play more. Last year, he missed the last four. He missed all, almost all of the one when he got hurt. So let's say he missed five games. But I think if he can play, say, 13 or 14, he's going to uh, – what was the question about Pierce? Who, ha- who has the most of these? It is, who has the most? Will Anderson sacks, Tank Dell receiving touchdowns, Damian Pierce 100-yard games. Yeah, I don't think Damian Pierce can have 10 100-yard games. So I'm going to say Will Anderson Jr., with, with, he's going to hit double digits in sacks. So, you're, yeah, I mean, you're basing this on you think Will Anderson's going to be in contention for defensive rookie of the year. I think basically. he's the leading candidate. Yeah, I, I I like that, too. I think Will Anderson is the safest. I think if you were to do, like, gambling odds on this one, that would be the heavy favorite right here, would be him having the most sacks. I'm curious, who do you think is second on that list, John? Who do you think has more? Does Tank Dell have more receiving touchdowns than Damian Pierce has 100-yard games this year. I could say Tank with five or six, and I could mm-hmm. say out of 17 games, say he plays 15. They want to run the ball a lot because that's what they do in this offense. It is it is an offense tailor-made for a running back, so I'd say Pierce is number two. Okay. You, you think that Damian Pierce will have more 100-yard games than Tank Dell has touchdowns? Yeah. All right. I, John, I got to think about that one. There may be a friendly wager coming between me and you on that one. I think Tank Dell – I think Tank Dell is going to have a good year this year for these guys. I do too. I think he's going to have a great year. Yeah, I the my only I guess my only concern now is this leg tightness that he's dealing with. I have no was do we know was he out of practice today? I didn't get to see. Yeah, him he was out there. He's practicing. He had a hamstring issue. And uh, thing about Tank is he's going to have to beat people deep because they're going to be playing a lot of zone against him to try to keep him in front of him. He may start great, but you know how defenses adjust. Bobby Slowick's got to get him in space, and he may not even start. So I think if he did, that would be great, but I'm still going with Pierce. Yeah. Um, all right, last one, because this plays off of Will Anderson, John. Um, Will, An- This is from Roy G. Uh, he says, uh, if Will Anderson has 12 to 15 sacks, but the Texans' pick is still a top-five pick, in other words, Arizona gets a top-five pick, is the trade still worth it? Absolutely. You got a perennial pass rusher. If he has that, he's going to the Pro Bowl. He's going to be defensive rookie of the year, and there's a good chance Arizona's going to screw it up because they're the Cardinals. Yeah, they are. No, there's a good chance Arizona screws it up. I, I but the value of that pick isn't what 
to the Texans isn't what Arizona does with it. It's what do we think the Texans would have done with it if they had kept that pick? You know yeah, what I mean? They wouldn't have gotten a pass rusher like Will Anderson Jr. Yep. Yeah. Well, in the 12 to 15. And they still have first, second, third round picks. It's not like they're destitute. Yeah. That's a good point, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I mean, Cleveland, we just got to keep, you got to root for Cleveland to Cleveland this year. You know, that's it. That's Browns it. Browns could end up in last place, maybe their third place, maybe their first place, but I think they got a better chance to finish last and first in the AFC North. Would you sign up, John? I saw a graphic uh, from one of the NFL.com writers um, late in the show today with uh, Payne and Pendergast uh, in the 9 o'clock hour. I think it was Adam Rank who writes for NFL.com. And he put up a, they put up a graphic of his predictions, his projections for the AFC South. And it went like this. And by the way, my take was I would sign up for this right now, sight unseen. If they put a paper in front of me and said, you can sign this right now and this is how the AFC South will end up, I would sign it and I would, you know, I'd be cool with it. Jacksonville, nine and eight wins the division. Texans finish second at seven and 10. Tennessee, four and 13. Colts, three and 14. <laughs> I think any Texan fan would sign up with that in a heartbeat. I'm signing up for it as much because of what happened to Tennessee and Indianapolis in that scenario as I am the seven wins for the Texans this year. Jim. Well, that's what you predicted for the Texans. So I'd make you right. Yeah, but I'm you look I, like a genius, John. They could put five and 12 for the Texans. If the Tennessee Titans are finishing four and 13 and the Colts are finishing three and 14, that's a happy year for us. Yeah, here. As long as the Texans win that game in December when the Titans are wearing the Oilers Columbia blue, I thought the exact same thing. You know, um, I, I, my other follow up take on that, John, on that graphic is that if you look at those four teams, if they were to finish that way. I would argue that the fan base that might be the most disappointed or underwhelmed of all four of those teams, ironically, might be the Jacksonville Jaguar fans. Only in, be nine and eight. Yeah. yeah, in so much as that's that the expectations are that I mean they were nine and eight and won the division last year. If they're nine and eight again this year, that I mean that ain't gonna they're gonna be going on the road in the second round of the playoffs again. Um, and and I would think that Jacksonville fan Jacksonville if they go nine and eight it means Trevor Lawrence did not take the next step that everybody's expecting from him this year. If they're nine and eight, it means they're only two games ahead of the lowly Texans. That's right. That's right. Seven and ten, baby. Seven and ten. Get, let's get our seven. Hey Texans, if you're listening, get get us our seven and ten merch already. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the strive for seven. Um. All right. That's our mailbag. Seven is heaven. Seven is there you go, John. <laughs> Feeling it. I like it. Uh all right. Uh HOU mailbag at gmail.com. If you uh if you want to send us a question for next week, um, we will keep on banging out these podcasts. Two more next week, and then the regular season hits, and we start doing three during the regular season. Uh John, what do you got going on on sportsradio610.com? I have a column that I rewrote this morning, updated. It's it says the Rangers, Astros, and Mariners are separated by one game in the wild, wild AL West. And I did it. I went through every team, what they've done, what they've got coming up, and why they did it. And I'm going to have a Texans column up tomorrow. Beautiful. Love it. Yeah, that, that race, I was looking at all the divisional races today, John. That one's the that race is the one race, the AL West race, that I feel like is the most compelling. You don't have to be a fan of any of the teams involved. That's going to be a fun race with Seattle and the Rangers and the Astros in it. That's, Astros, that's got some sizzle. Last six games are on the road at Seattle and at Arizona, which is on a roll and could be playing for a wild card berth. Yep. 
It's going to be fun, man. going to be a fun September, no doubt about it. Uh, all right. So, uh, John, I enjoyed it as always. Thank you very much, John. All right. Good stuff. That's John McClain. Big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, for getting this podcast out to you in uh, quick and efficient fashion, as he always does. If you want to make sure that you get this podcast uh, without having to think about it, it just shows up on your phone, uh, hit that subscribe button. That's the best way to do it. Wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe to the Utopia Football Podcast, and we will keep you informed and entertained throughout the season here as uh, we embark on what should be a very intriguing season of Houston Texans football here in our great city. Um, so big thanks to James. For John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you next week for the next round of Utopia Football Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. Enjoy the game on Sunday, which you can hear at 7 o'clock, Sports Radio 610. Pre-game starts at 4 with me and Seth Payne. Post-game with me and Clint Sterner. We'll see you on Sunday for that game on Sports Radio 610, and we'll see you on Monday for the next episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Take care.